If I told you there was a 4% chance of rain, would you leave the house in a raincoat, boots, and grab an umbrella? Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't let a 4% chance of rain ever even enter your mind. Or would you? Studies show that only 4% of what we worry about actually happens. Just 4%. And yet we're up all night worrying about all of those what-ifs. All that for a 4% chance of anything actually happening. There is a whole 96% of life we're missing when we're focused on the 4%. It's not that you're a worrier. It's that the 96% feels more uncomfortable somehow. The 96% where things are going well. Possibilities are endless. There are two worlds. One where you're living comfortably in your fear and limitations and victimhood. And another world where you're living in your divine freedom and possibility. And whatever you focus on, you get more of. I want to know where you're spending most of your days. Are you in the 4% or the 96%? Take my limiting beliefs quiz. Find out what's really blocking you. Grab the link in my bio. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. I end every podcast with the phrase, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. When we share our stories, when we are vulnerable, we give another woman wings. We give them the leg up. Hiding your story is exhausting. Acting like you're fine is exhausting. It only takes 10% of people in the world to make a revolution. We're going to create a revolution today. Domestic abuse does not discriminate and is the number one most underreported crime. Why? Women don't want to come forward because of the shame. My guest today is busting through that shame. She's coming forward. She's telling her story. It's a story of survival. She survived attempted murder, an intimate partner domestic abuse, and emotional abuse. We're talking with her about why survivors are still not getting the empathy and understanding they deserve, why leaving an abuser is not as easy as we think, and the misconceptions about domestic abuse. Are you holding women in judgment who are in abusive relationships? Educate yourself on what it really takes to stop domestic abuse from happening in the first place and the warning signs that you and other women in your life that you love may be missing. Let's get into it. Are you using your voice in your business? Having a podcast is the fastest way to become a thought leader in your space. It not only builds your confidence, but it builds a reputation for you as an expert in your field. Many women have told me they don't have time to go through my eight-week podcast launch. Well, introducing the White Glove Podcasting VIP Experience. We will get your podcast up and launched in one week. This includes creating, naming, marketing your podcast, getting comfortable with recording, finding your unique voice, and launching with confidence. This is a luxury experience 
Well, you'll be guided by me personally through the process. If you've been thinking of launching a podcast and you're looking for a sign, this is it. Use the link in the show notes to schedule a call to learn more. Podcasting has changed my life and 10X'd my business. Let's leap into your next level together. All right, everybody. Today on the show, Brielle Cotterman. She is a TEDx speaker, a publicity expert, and a celebrity maker. She has spent the last decade helping clients to craft and scale dream careers to seven figures and beyond by leveraging their personal stories and passions in order to create speaking tours, author award-winning books, procure media placements, and inspire the millions of people that need to hear their story. And Brielle's story is a hero's journey for sure. What a warrior woman. She is a survivor of attempted murder and domestic violence. Brielle is an activist against domestic violence and an advocate for a world where intimate partner abuse is not tolerated and survivors are met with empathy. Thank you for coming to the show, Bia. Thank you for having me, Liz. I'm excited to be here. Brielle, I'm so glad to have you here today. I, you know, looking at you, and this is the way it is, Brielle, Looking at you, no one would ever guess. And you know, this is this is what is so amazing about women is when we share our stories and when we are vulnerable, we teach each other so much because I could have easily gone to your amazing masterclass that you were teaching me all about storytelling and you could have never ever revealed that you were a survivor, that you were a person that went through something like this. You could have just never revealed that. You could have just gone on your merry way, but you did. And that kind of woman is my kind of woman, Brielle. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, I'm so excited to be here. And I love what you said about, you know, I could have not said that. And I think that's one of the things that happens too often, Liz, is, you know, we kind of put these things that go on in our lives in this category of guilt or shame around them. And that's where these stigmas come from. And As women, when we hide our realities, what we do is we create two existences. And and I talk about this in my TEDx talk. You know, we create this like perfect shiny image on the outside that's not real, but we let everybody think we're fine. And we tell everybody we're fine. We look all put together and then we have our reality. And that is exhausting, first of all. And it doesn't help to create positive cultural change. How is anybody ever going to relate to you or I if they don't know the struggles and the journey that we've been through to get here? Yeah, I agree. And I was just watching another TED Talk after I watched your TED Talk about that it takes only 11 million people. It actually takes 10% of the population to create a revolution. That's Mm, it. I love that. 10%, Brielle. So we're going to be talking to the 10% today because we're going to create a revolution. That's what we're going to do today, Brielle. Let's create a revolution. Let's do it. So I met you in that brilliant masterclass. As I said you before, you were amazing at telling stories, but I was shocked to learn yours. What do you want to share about your story that would be valuable uh, to this audience? Because as we said, when we share the stories, this is how we heal and how we give another person a way up. Well, I think the first thing to address is the fact that you were shocked, okay? Because... Domestic violence, intimate partner abuse, it does not discriminate, okay? And our media has not done a very good job of portraying that and representing all of the demographics who experience that type of abuse. And so that's where we have a huge opportunity. 
Another thing to take into consideration is domestic violence is the number one most unreported crime. So there are certain demographics or socioeconomic classes that we may associate with the idea of being a victim or survivor of domestic violence. But what we don't understand clearly is we don't even have a full picture because it's not something that women feel comfortable and not just women, but people do not feel comfortable coming forward and sharing and reporting because it is a crime. And the, the reality is you have never seen a survivor of physical abuse who has not also experienced mental abuse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's far more complex. You know, I had a really distorted vision of what domestic violence looked like. I didn't grow up in a home with domestic violence. And so my perception was, you know, it's somebody when they get a black eye, you know, then, then they have to cover it up with makeup and that, and that, but that is, you know, what I've learned through this journey and, and, you know, a lot of years of not just educating myself, but getting to a place where I know I was never going to get into this sort of a situation ever again. Uh, And how did I get there in the first place? It doesn't start with physical abuse. There are multiple complex layers that go into that, which plays into why we don't talk about it. Often, When you are a a survivor, you have been groomed, you have been threatened, you have been, you know, positioned in a way where you feel almost helpless. And so there's, you know, that, that question that I cannot stand to hear people ask of why didn't you leave? For a person who's never been in that situation, a lot of times that might come forward. And one of the things that I want to caution all of your listeners about that, that particular question is. Anytime we try to leave, anytime a woman tries to leave a domestic abuse situation, it doesn't even have to be physical, okay? They are 70% more likely to lose their life when they choose to leave, to attempt to leave, because you're taking control away from the abuser, and then they become, you know, reckless. They, They get to this place of desperation. And so, so that, so asking that question is basically like, you're more likely asking asking a child, why did you let a molester touch you? Or like, well, it's like asking somebody like, why didn't, why didn't you drive drunk? You know I mean? That's the most dangerous thing that you can do in that situation. So being thoughtful about our language you know, whether we're talking about my story or anybody else's, when the way we handle these types of situations, the words that we speak really matter. And that has the ability to change and make things better for future generations. And that's really what it's all about. You know, when you ask me about my story, it's it's sharing it. That that's the biggest thing that any of us can do is recognizing and starting to share. Give us a little bit about how it began for you or what, you know, because I think this is what's so interesting about this, right? Is that there is new, there's nuance to this because just like you said, there's a grooming process. There's kind of a process. It doesn't start with somebody. If someone walked up to you on the street and punched you in the face, you would be like, right. what the fuck? Like, no, the, you know, you. You'd be like I'm out of here. You're like, what the yeah. hell? 
right? Or call the police or whatever you would do. That's not how it starts. So like, if that's not, that's not the beginning. So I think people, when they're saying, why didn't you leave? All they're thinking about is where it's gone to. They're not even thinking about how it begins, right? Or how it got there, you know? And that's the thing. Perpetrators of abuse, don't walk around wearing, you know, tight white tank tops and carrying a two by four. Right. They often are well-educated, successful, well-dressed, charming people who to the person that they meet on the street, you know, they're just kind and they're, you know, there's a, there is often, more often than not, there is a facade that comes along with that. And so when you first meet that person, whether you ultimately end up being in a romantic relationship with them or you end up doing business with them or they're, you know, an acquaintance, it's highly unlikely that you're going to meet someone and think, oh my gosh, that person is dangerous. Those are the people who are committing these acts of violence. So, you know, I was in a situation where it was a whirlwind romance and swept off my feet, you know, um, very much a person who was very highly respected professionally, at least that was the outward appearance. You know, there were lots of attractive things about that. There were lots of romantic things. But one of the things that I would caution people uh, about is, you know, we have to be certain that we have our own best interest in mind always. We have to be aware. And I always want to think the best in people. I'm not saying, you know, to, to automatically assume that everyone is a bad person. But what I am saying is pay attention to warning signs, pay attention to red flags. So when you meet a person who is ultimately may become an abuser, there are some things I call them non-traditional warning signs that I think you should watch for. Had I known better at the time, this is something that I would have paid attention to. Anytime that someone make fun of you or teases you in public to the place where it makes you feel uncomfortable. Big warning. Ooh, give me an example of something like that. Like, uh, are you talking about somebody that would be like, Oh, night, like nice dress. Like what, how far, but it's, it's making you uncomfortable. Are you talking about sexually uncomfortable? Um, no, it doesn't even have to be that. Let's say for instance, that you, you messed up on a word that you were saying and someone was teasing you and kind of incessantly and needling you a little bit. That's a red flag. Um, Another red flag is if people, if someone uses something that you care about to manipulate you or control you, major red flag, whether that's a dog or a cat or your child or, you know, your, whatever, I'm a horse person, your horse, (laughs) whatever it might be. So that is another red flag. And then thirdly, if something feels off, it probably is. So pay attention to that. Mm. Looking back, there were multiple times in the whirlwind relationship that I was in um, that I probably let myself be talked into being okay with something that felt a little off to me. Interesting. That is really interesting. I, I remember I was dating a guy and 
I, I had some of these warning signs that you're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he asked me to go on this trip with him. And I remember thinking, I don't think I should go on this trip. But then there was a part of me that was like, well, come on. It's like this nice trip. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, right. he's, you know, this is like fun. Like, you're just being paranoid. Like, I, I just kind of ignored my in- intuition. I overrode it. Mm-hmm. I went on this vacation. He proceeded to get really, really, really drunk and become very off-putting to the Mm -hmm. point where I thought it wasn't just something was going to happen to me, but I thought I was not going to maybe leave there alive. Yeah. So I had to play this whole game with him. I I basically concocted a story, said I had to get back, like, you know, made it nothing about him. And then I never spoke to this guy again. I literally dropped myself off the face because there was something inside of me I was so terrified of how I was feeling. I had never felt that out of control before. I was like, you are in a place with this guy and you don't really know him enough. And you've been kind of on this whirlwind, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And this guy could do anything to you. He could do anything to you right now. And I had never felt that before. So I kind of know what you're saying because the- Well, thank goodness for your awareness. Yes. But I, but I, I wish Brielle that I hadn't gone on the trip at all. Yeah, I, wish, exactly. I, really did. I really wish I hadn't. And that's what I'm saying. You know, I wish some of the other earlier things, things that you are describing, I had said, no, this isn't, this is, but you know, I think when you're younger and this goes to the point, Brielle, a lot of these girls who get in these situations, it's they they are on the younger side sometimes. Like it could be twenty five years old, twenty. You don't have enough experience, kind of like dating and knowing. I like, was twenty seven. Yeah, like I think in so. your twenties, you're 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 still learning. Like you don't totally know, right? You're you're trying to learn to read yourself, and I think you know the work I'm doing in the world is all about paying attention to your intuition, and this is what I'm teaching my daughter and my son. Absolutely. Like, that your voice, that little voice inside, is literally the key to you, and you have to listen to it. So it's so important. But back then, like you're saying, sure, didn't, yeah, didn't really know about that as much. But I well, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of things that play into that. Like you know. How many relationships do we really see on television or in the movies that are really a healthy relationship? Not very many. I mean, you think about sitcoms that we all grew up watching. I mean, I'm in my 40s, but you know, I mean, you think about that. How many really honestly healthy relationships did we see modeled for us on the television? And then you think about, right, and you think, well... You know, it's just, it's kind of like financial literacy or any other thing that isn't taught in school. You learn by what you see. That doesn't mean that if, you know, I like I said, I didn't grow up in a family where I saw any sort of physical violence or any of those sorts of things. But I, I know that there are things that I want for future generations that are a healthier standard for relationships. And I don't want there to be this expectation of the the types of relationships that we see in the media and only knowing this sort of relationship that's modeled for us in our home. There's so much more than that. And having a really true understanding of what a healthy relationship is and is not is so important. Yeah. So tell me, how does control and emotional abuse lead to domestic violence? Because I think that's some of what we're talking about here. And I think there's, like we're saying, there's some subtleties, right? And like some people would say like, oh, well, like just because somebody's, you know, controlling doesn't mean they're going to abuse you. 
I kind of disagree. Which is I, true. I, I, well, I disagree. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to physically abuse you. Right. doesn't mean it's going to be physical, but it could be emotional. Like when, when people are. Well, what well, doesn't control equate emotional abuse? Well, yes. I guess that's what I, I mean. Think. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's something that has evolved through generations, especially for women, you know, because, I mean, just because we've seen, you know, our parents or grandparents operate in a certain way that that can be a healthy relationship based on where they stand and what they know. Um, you know, my grandmother never worked outside of the home and she always wanted to, but it just wasn't allowed, you know, and, and not that that was abusive or any of those sorts of things, but it was a, an element of control. And it, that is one of the things that has shifted and is continuing to shift for women specifically. And that's where I think we're really reframing this conversation around abuse because there are so many things that systemically and culturally are supported that lead to these sorts of difficult situations. And, and it doesn't necessarily end up in physical abuse, but emotional abuse is the beginning. It's that control, it's that manipulation. And, and it's not necessarily, you know, like saying, oh, you can't work outside of the home. This isn't, you know, 1950, but what it is, you know, it can look different for everyone. Financial abuse is another big piece for most domestic violence relationships. Um, you know, being put in a position where you don't have any sort of income, where you don't have the ability to leave financially because you're completely dependent on another person is not a good choice for anyone ever. And that can, ever. and that can look like, oh, you don't have to work. I'd love to take care I of you. I want you to stay home. I want you to stay home. You can just be home. You don't even have to worry about this. I'll take care of it. Right. Like, so it, it's not coming off like you can't work. It's coming off right. as a gift. You know, it's coming off as like, oh, don't you worry about a thing. You can spend time with our children or, you know, there's just so many different things. And that's what I'm saying. Just being aware, recognizing, like you said, paying attention to that intuition, because there are moments when, when you're in that sort of a situation. And let me tell you, you know, I am a well-educated, successful person. And it took me a really long time to make peace with the fact that I ended up in the type of situation that I did. I, I hid behind that story for a lot of years because I didn't want to be labeled and I had a lot of shame around where I had ended up, but I will not. And I refuse to let the person who almost took my life continue to control me. And he's definitely not taking the rest of it. We know that that's right. <laughs> he's, not, so, he's not doing that. Yeah. Right. I, so I, that's, I that's where, you know, it became for me more uncomfortable to, Hide. Mm-hmm. It takes and more effort. Not, it takes more right. effort to actually hide it. Yeah. yeah. That's well, and it became so uncomfortable to hide behind that story. I was playing small. I was playing small in my business. I wasn't sharing authentically who I was. I wasn't, you know, drawing in my soulmate level clients because I was hiding this entire part of myself, which was such a huge, it doesn't define me, but it's such a majorly definitive part of who I am as a human being, because I've spent a decade in therapy and healing practices. And, you know, so there's so many pieces that go into it. And what I want to share about experiencing domestic violence is 
Until I came forward and started sharing my story, no one in my world talked to me about it. What I went through was very public. So people knew, but nobody talked to me about it because nobody knew what to say. Nobody said, I'm sorry that you've gone through this. Nobody said, hey, I'm here for you. Nobody talked to me about it. And that was really, really hard for me as a human being. Once I was brave enough to begin that story, people, women came out of the woodwork, sending me messages, sending me emails. I mean, I'm not joking that sometimes if I publish a piece or do a talk, I would get a thousand emails in a week's time of telling me I've been through a similar situation. I've never told anybody or I'm in a similar situation and I don't know what to do. And that was so eye-opening for me because here I spent all of these years fighting behind that story. And I was surrounded by so many women who had had or were having a similar experience. Yeah. This is literally why I do everything I do, Brielle. Because I, I can't tell you, it, and it's on so many different levels, because when I meet with women, they are like, well, nobody has this. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, nobody has this. I'm in a job. It's the golden handcuffs. I can't get out. Nobody has mm. this. I'm so dead in my marriage. I feel, I feel dead. I don't feel alive. Nobody has this. I'm running so hard. I'm so busy. I'm, I'm on this hamster wheel of stress, but it looks so good on the outside. Nobody would know. Nobody has right. this. Then I get them in the group and everyone's like, me too, me too, me too, me too. Right. And suddenly you don't care anymore. Suddenly you're like, oh my God, could I, could this stop? Could I change this? Like it just opens the door to opportunity. So you're opening the door for these women and they're saying, oh my God, like I'm not alone. This, this happens. This did happen. And I could, I can get out of it. There's something I can do. I'm not stuck, right? So I think it's so incredible. I want to talk to you about if someone is listening right now and they realize literally something, because even, I, I got to be honest with you, Brielle, I didn't even think of that story that I just shared with you. I was not prepared mm -hmm. to share that. I didn't even think of it. But as you were talking, it already, it came over me and I said, oh my God, that was, because I never thought of, the whirlwind romance and the guy that's coming off just so he's just coming it's off charming this guy was a lawyer brielle he yes. handsome from a great southern family he had all, he had everything anybody could possibly want and mm -hmm. and then i was terrified so i hadn't even thought of that so if someone's listening right now and they're starting to put two and two together. They're starting to realize they may be in an abusive situation. They're starting to realize they are not listening to their intuition and their intuition is telling them right now, something is off. What can they do? What are some steps they can take? Well, so, the, so I didn't do it the right way, okay? So don't do what I did, but the very first thing that you need to do is to contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline. They have secure lines. They have a secure website so that if your computer or your phone is being tracked, um, your web experience, your searching history, any of those things are being tracked, um, it's safe. Find a place where you can make that phone call. Find a place and a time when you can get on there and talk to them. They have counselors who are well-equipped to help you create a safe exit plan. Just leaving is not the right thing to do. You put yourself in too much risk. It's just like you talked about that sort of dance that you had to, you know, you had to craft this little story and you had to be really thoughtful. And 
you know, you may have to step into a moment of uncomfort, you know, that's very uncomfortable to make this strategic move. But getting someone on the phone with you who is an expert and can help to create a safe exit plan, that's that's the conversation you need to be having. And they can do that with the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. So they have really- National Domestic Violence Hotline. Okay, National National Domestic Hotline. National Domestic Violence Hotline. National Domestic Violence Hotline. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. But they can help you make a, a plan because like you said, a before, plan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like you said before, people don't realize that 70% of people don't make it out alive and lose their life because you're taking away the abuser's control. Right. Which is what they wanted from the start. And so you're taking it away. Right. So and they wanted it mm-hmm. from the start, whether it was the emotional control or the financial control, they wanted that control from the start. Now it's escalated to whatever it is. Right. But if you take that away, that's what they that's what they were doing from the start. That was what the grooming was about. Absolutely. And so it's not ever about creating confrontation. Okay. It's not ever about that. When you recognize, if you start to, like, if you heard some of those non-conventional or unconventional warning signs and you're like, you know what? I can check all three of those boxes. Maybe I need to think about this. Or if you're starting, like you said, to realize maybe I've been ignoring some of these red flags. It's not ever about like, hey, I can't believe this is going on and like confronting that type of a situation, even though that may be what you want to do because you feel angry and hurt and scared. That's not what this is about at this point. If you start to recognize that you may be in a situation that there is some level of abuse there's always the possibility that it could turn physically violent. So having those conversations with those professionals who can help you and protect you, that is the conversation to have. Okay, amazing. So let's talk stats for a minute. Most violence against women are is perpetrated by a current or former husband or an intimate partner. More than 640 million women age 15 and older have been subjected to an intimate partner violence. Almost 20 people are physically abused by their domestic partner every minute. Every minute. Every minute. 20 people every minute. This is staggering. Um, what do we need to keep? It's, what do we need to it's do? To totally, keep it's totally unacceptable. No, totally so, unacceptable. So this is what I talked about earlier, you know, when I said, like, when we look at the way our parents live and our grandparents and those sorts of things, and those are our models for behavior, that, that's not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad, but it's also not necessarily healthy. This is something, this is domestic violence has been going on since the beginning of time. So what we, you know, people like you and I, what we are asking for is a massive cultural shift. And the very first step and the very first thing that we can begin to do, I believe wholeheartedly, you cannot change someone's actions unless you change the way they think or feel. And that begins with words. So if we start to give them a different language, if we start to share our stories, if we start to explain those statistics to them, like what you just shared, um, in a way that means something, in a way that you look at, you know, someone like myself, I, I was you know, like I mentioned, I was well-educated. I was a world champion equestrian. I was a title holder in the Miss America organization. I was extremely successful in every aspect of my life. And I ended up in that sort of a situation. And beyond that, Liz, 
I let the fact that I was a survivor of domestic violence overshadow all of those other things. The fact that I'm a mother, the fact that I'm a daughter and, you know, all of those things that I truly hold in such high regard, I let that overshadow it and I hid. I mean, I lived in a way that was not authentic to me because I was afraid and ashamed of sharing that story. So what we need is we need women to start to share their stories and we need both men and women to get to the place where they feel like I do, like they are not going to tolerate a world where that is acceptable. And we also need to meet survivors with empathy and understanding. And there have been so many high profile cases about this where people are choosing sides and it it just it was. It has been very triggering for me. It's very difficult when those things are all over the media and on social media and the news. And just keep in mind and have an understanding of this is a person's life. This is a relationship. We are not choosing sides on a sporting event, you know. And and I I have a really difficult time with the way domestic violence is handled in the media. And, you know, that's one of the major things that I work on through my PR agency and my work as an advocate, um, but really just changing the narrative and, and opening people's eyes. Yeah. Domestic violence does not discriminate. Yeah. I think it's so, so important. So let's talk about kind of your PR genius that you are, because I can't, I can't do this whole podcast and not talk about your (laughs) PR genius and how this applies to people who may want to have you in their world. Because we talked about this a little bit, telling stories, right? Sometimes, uh-huh. I mean, this is what you were teaching us in the class too that I took with you is that sometimes it's that story you don't want to tell. That's your best story that you could possibly tell, right? So tell me about how you get people to tell their stories. Because I can kind of imagine that some people are like, no, Brielle, this is the story that doesn't make me look awesome. So I'm not going to tell that story. Why would you have me talk about that? I am a person. I'm a huge believer. As I've gotten older, I love things that are interesting. Like I love antique furniture. I love people with great stories. There's character there. There's so much more than trying to fit in or trying to seek approval. And when we share our stories and we let people know who we truly are, we gain this massive level of power that we can't even imagine. So by telling my story for the first time, so a client of mine knew about my background with domestic violence. She knew that I was a survivor and I was launching her book in London and she was like, you know, you have to start telling people about this because I lived a life-changing story. That's what my book is about. That's what my whole life is about. And I didn't know where to begin, but I knew I wanted to share. So you have to start telling people. And I was like, I know, I, I know in my heart that I need to do this. And so being a PR person, I sent out like six media pitches and within 24 hours, You know, and sometimes you send out media pitches and you don't hear back ever. And sometimes you don't hear back for six weeks. But within 24 hours, I got yeses. Like the universe was like, you know. Yeah. And um, so I was like, okay, well, 
guys, now I've got to do this because I'm a PR expert and I'm not going to let these people down, you know, that I'm working with. Yeah. And um, so I did it and I started sharing my story. It was very scary for me. It was very difficult and it was not an easy path. I was, I will say this, I was 100% to the point where I could tell my story without becoming overly emotional. I think that is a good indicator. If you're thinking you want to share a story about a difficult or time or challenge, and you are still overly emotional about that story, you're probably not healed enough to share that, that story. Yeah. Cause you need to be the, a little, there's gotta be an element of wise woman on the Hill so you can actually get your point across. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, you know, when you get to that place, we help women to step onto the world's stage. And why do we want to know more about another person? Why is another person interesting to us? It's their story. Um, you can give me an awesome resume of all the things that you've done, but it's your story that really piques my interest. That makes me want to know more about you. The same thing, you know, media decision makers, your buyers, your prospects, they're all people. Yeah. Yeah. And they care about your story far more than they care about your most recent award. It, well, I mean, hello, this is the whole podcast, right? Like I don't have people over here doing a 27 minute, 30, 40 minute commercial for their book. I'm like, no, what's your story? When well, give me your story, right? Exactly. Um, tell me about your celebrity incubator. Cause I love this idea because in, in many ways you, you would say, well, I'm not a celebrity. Like, what are you going to, what do you mean? How can you make someone a celebrity? But back to the story, Brielle, um, sometimes a, a story, right. Can turn you into bring you to the world stage. Yeah. And when you think about a niche celebrity, we're not talking about people recognizing you when you walk down the street, but we are talking about when people think of your niche, they think of your space, your craft, your expertise. They think of you because you're the go-to guy or girl in that space. You know, you are well-known, you're top of mind. They associate you with the leader in that area. And that's really what we're creating. So the Celebrity Incubator is a fabulous program um, led by myself and Heather French Henry, who is our VP of Media Training. She's an amazing human being. She's worked for the Department of Defense. She's a former Miss America. She's been on Oprah and Good Morning America and David Letterman and basically everywhere. And between the two of us, we facilitate this program along with an awesome group of guest celebs that come in and we help people get prepared. So whether you are ready to go on television or whether you're wanting to be more visible on your Instagram, how do you show up confidently on camera? How do you know what to say? What should you choose to wear that's going to represent you and your brand? You know, all of the decisions that go into that. I always share with people, when people go, when you see celebrities on The Tonight Show, none of that is happenstance, okay? They have a team of people helping them decide what are they going to wear? What are they going to be talking about? All of those things are premeditated. And so that's basically what we do with and for every single one of our clients through the Celebrity Incubator. From start to finish, everything from image to the words that you say, and then what to do beyond the stories that you're telling to help turn that publicity into profit. I love that. I love that. Well, we have reached the party time of the podcast, Brielle. We are here to the speed round. 
Are you ready to do the speed round with me? Bri? I am so ready for the speed round, Liz. I was so oh excited when I saw this. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I love a good speed round. It's like being on a game show. That's why I like it. It's like being on a game show. I'm ready. Okay. So just fill in the blank because you know there's no wrong answers. I am learning that. I'm learning that my own inner peace is the most sacred thing that I can have, both for myself and my family. Yes. When I feel lost, I turn to nature. I'm like you. I live on a horse farm. I grew up on a farm. I nature is my thing. I was grounding and walking around in the mud and the grass with no shoes before it was chic. <laughs> I love it. I am a woman who creates positive change. Yes. And a revolution. I am proud of the fact that I. I'm a good mother, probably more than anything, because it, it that's a really challenging thing to do. And I don't think unless you've done it, you understand the challenge. But to be fully present and to allow all of my children to feel like they have a voice and they are valued no matter how old they are or what they are. And that's I'm probably the most proud of them. And I think that stems from my being, making an effort to be a good mom. I love that. I always say. I say this to my children and my clients. <laughs> there are two ways to get people to do something. You either inspire them or you manipulate them. Ooh, I love that. I'm going to bring that into my little home life. Thank um, you. I'm really excited about. Um, I'm really excited about. The fact that you brought up the Celebrity Incubator. Um, it's a program that I love. We teach it live and we are, for the first time this year, offering it independently. Typically, we only have our private client in the Celebrity Incubator, but that's something we're, that we're doing separately because I just feel like we can do so much good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming today, Brielle, and especially thank you for opening up about your experience and also opening up this conversation because I wasn't kidding when I said it only takes 10% to make a revolution. There needs to be a whole narrative, like you were saying, changed around how we treat people who are in this situation, who are in a domestic violence situation, um, survivors and in current situations how we speak to men and and uh, and women and girls and boys about what it really looks like right and to have a healthy relationship 100%. and how we're supporting people who are in this situation right rather than being in a place of judgment being in a place of you know em empathy for them so i really really appreciate you i appreciate you i want to say you brought up something and i know i just want to add this real quickly victim shaming is a real real thing and when you are on that side where you are like, I don't want to tell people about this because I don't want to deal with this and I don't want people to judge me. It's a very real thing. And so victim shaming is a really horrific thing to experience. And I see it so often publicly. I see it in social media. I see it all over the place. And I just want to make sense of it to people real quickly because I'm a person, I like to know how things work. And so this was one of the things I kept asking my therapist, like, why did this even happen? Like, this is just such a crazy thing. Thinking that, you know, these people 
positioning it like maybe you did something wrong because something was done to you. And the way it was explained to me and of all the reading and everything that I've done, it is our way of making ourselves feel safe. So if, well, if she would have left or I can't believe she did that or well, she could have known this or whatever. And whatever that qualifier is, gives us the ability to feel safe, to safely remove ourselves. Well, I would never do that. I would have never gone on the trip. I would have left. I would have called for help, you know, whatever that might be. And it gives them this level of safety. So remembering that victim shaming is fear induced. Those people are afraid too. So giving those people some grace, but more than that, if you have ever accidentally victim shamed someone, which you probably have, being aware and being well aware of there has to be no relationship between you and what has gone on for that person who is a survivor. Simply being there, listening, being present, holding space for them, that is all that's needed. You don't have to relate to them in any way. You don't have to make sense of it. Just being there and leaving victim shaming behind. If we can get rid of that, then we really will start a revolution. Absolutely. And let me just say, you're right, because when you judge somebody, you're get, it's from a distance, right? Like you can't judge somebody if you know their story and you care and you're empathizing, right? You need a certain level of distance so you can get that judgment going. Oh, that would never happen to me. I would never put myself in that position. All those mm-hmm. things give you the distance to stand back over here and judge. Absolutely. Right? But since all judgment is self-judgment, Brielle... When you're over there judging somebody for the situation they're in, that is just giving me the indication as your little coach on this podcast about how much judgment you really have for yourself. So anytime you think you're in a position where you're judging and victim shaming, just know that's not about that person. That's about you. That's your shit. So I just want to fucking say that right here and call. Thank you. I just want to say that right here. Oh, what a juicy podcast. I love you, Brielle. I love you. Oh my God. Thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, this has been so, so good. I just adore you and you're so smart and so talented. And I just, I'm, I'm ready for this revolution. I'm ready for it. Likewise. Thank you, Liz. Let's do it. All right. Thank you everyone for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye. Bye.